Hello and welcome to the Best Boys Podcast. I'm Best Boy Dan. And I'm Best Boy Justin. And welcome to the Gundam episode. It's here. We did it. We made it in a giant robot to this place. Yes. This promised land of Gundam episode. (laughs) So for those of you who don't know, this episode is actually serving to mark the release of uh, Mobile Suit Gundam Hathaway's Flash in Japan. However, uh, we've just gotten news that that delete release has been delayed by about <laughs> two weeks. But we already planned to do this episode, so we're going to do it anyway. Um, and so here it is. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we're going to be talking about the history of Gundam, kind of, you know, Gunpla and all the kind of surrounding cultural things about it. We're going to get into all of the timelines. Um I hope you're ready. Yeah, Best Boy Justin is uh, a huge Gundam fan. This is definitely not my uh, zone. We'll talk about uh, how I'm contributing, what part I play uh, a little bit later on. Um, But yeah, it's going to be mostly Best Boy Justin educating both you, the audience, and and me, Best Boy Dan. Um, I'm excited to learn about some Gundam, but first... Strap in. Uncle Justin's in charge. (laughs) Yeah, but first I know that you had uh, you had some stuff you wanted to discuss. Yeah, so you know I I just I finished watching Bunny Girl Senpai. I'm so jealous. I'm oh my to god, watch that. the the full title is Rascal Does Not Dream of Bunny Girl Senpai. Um, the show is so good, like you need to watch it. I know it. it's been really high on my list pretty much since it aired. I've just heard really wonderful things about it. Yeah, like there's nothing negative to say about it. Like the 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 end of the show takes a really like dramatic turn. Um, the show itself, the premise of it is really interesting. I haven't seen the movie what, yet. What is the premise of it exactly? So the premise of it is that there is this syndrome called adolescence disease or oh, adolescence I, syndrome. I have that. You do have that. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, basically, it's where like uh, like adolescent kids will like through their own anxieties and insecurities will certain um, phenomena into manifesting in the real world. Um, so it centers around the main character who has a sister who suffers from adolescence disease. Um, and he actually meets a famous idol singer and actress who also suffers from it. And it kind of goes through this whole, you know, cycle of him also learning that he suffers from it and like going back and forth and like learning how to deal with it. It's really, really interesting um, it's got a really interest. it's got a really great love plot too, like a little, uh, romance, uh, plot to it that reminds me a lot of, um, Bakemonogatari. Um, so if you're into that, you'll probably be pretty interested in this. There's a lot less sibling toothbrushing in this show, so that's always good. Um, yeah. but definitely check it out. <laughs> if you've been thinking like, oh, this show looks interesting, give it a shot. You won't regret it. Yeah, and it's only 12 episodes. Yeah, it's, it's pretty short. I and there's a movie that. too, which I haven't seen yet, but... Yeah, I need to watch that. It, Like I said, it's been on my list uh, for forever. Right. Um, one of the things I wanted to talk about was I wanted to do a little check-in with Higa Hero. Yeah, and sure. Guess Let's what? do it. Uh, still hasn't animated itself. Still Thank good. God. It's um, still good. I've been keeping up with it as well. I haven't seen this week's episode, but... I did. It didn't animate itself, so we're yeah, still good. I, I, I can pretty much tell from uh, the memes on Reddit, like... How bad How, that episode So you'll, you'll know be. ahead of time if it's going to be real bad. Yeah, Because yeah. if something bad happens, like that show Reddit just loves to make memes out of. So uh, so I've, I've for now, it hasn't animated itself, and that's where we will leave that. Yeah. I actually, you know, now that we're talking about just some quick check-ins from this season, I want to check in with Joran real quick. Joran, Princess of Snow and Blood. Still doesn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah. No. That, 
I, it's... I honestly, and, and we'll get into this in a second, but I have not been watching much of what's been going on uh, recently in preparation for this episode. Um, but yeah, that's one I was didn't mind dropping. Yeah, I'm going to keep watching it because it is absolutely gorgeous. But like the way it feels to me, and I was thinking about this last night while I was watching, I think I was watching like the third or fourth episode or something. And I was like, this just kind of seems like an excuse for someone to draw a really pretty anime and then never follow up on the story. Yeah. So, but if that's what you care about, then, you know, it's worth checking out. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Colors are great, but uh, I don't (laughs) know what's going on. Have it in the background. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) So we also went to see uh, Demon Slayer Mugen Train, which we'd mentioned last episode, but we actually went and saw it and it was excellent. Yeah, it was fantastic. Uh, The OST was amazing. Um, I thought it was really well done. Yeah, um, it's, uh, you know, basically ufotable or UFO table. I'm pretty sure it's ufotable um, with a, you know, feature film size budget. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about it in the news. But like overall, I really enjoyed the experience. It's a continuation of the story as left off at the end of season one. Um, basically just picks up exactly where that left off and kind of tells the whole Mugen train arc uh, and then has a whole extra third act, which I won't really say anything about. Which was completely unexpected for me. I didn't see that coming. It was unexpected and didn't really, in my opinion, fit in with the rest of the story, but was fun as fuck to watch. Um, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, overall the movie was great. Um, you know, Ufotable, they always do good. You were, you were mentioning there was one, like, little CGI part that you didn't... Yeah, they do some, like, tentacle stuff at one point, but otherwise the CG and the animation are top-notch. Yeah, like, see, uh, Ufotable always does pretty good when it comes to CGI, so I'm, you know, I'm very, I was very pleased. I was glad we saw it. Um, and it was a great expansion of all the characters, too. Like, mm. it, there's, like, a dream sequence where you kind of get to see into, like, what their dream worlds are like, and and as you can imagine, um, uh, Inosuke's is just absolutely hysterical. I think yeah. he was the best boy of, oh, yeah. of that movie. I mean, Inosuke's easily. the best boy of this show. Like, <laughs> I, I, I will forever only ever cry from now on while wielding two swords slashing through the air while running back yeah. and forth that's Which, the that is the official <laughs> best boys approved only manly way to cry yes um and if you don't know what we're talking about uh watch the movie and if you don't Which feel you comfortable can't anymore because it's not in theaters it's but not it will in be out on D- it will be out on uh streaming and dvd i believe in june yeah towards the end of june i believe yeah. so it's it's coming soon um yeah, uh, the kind of last thing we just want to chit-chat about is uh, I I haven't had much time to watch any of the uh, seasonal shows over the last couple of weeks because I have been binging uh, Mobile Suit Gundam Iron-Blooded Orphans mm. uh, in preparation for this. Uh, it's 50 episodes, and I somehow managed to get through all 50 episodes in the two weeks, and it was a pleasure. Um, we'll talk more about it later. Um, but I did make time um, to watch one uh, seasonal anime, uh, and that was Vivi Florite Eyes Song, which is still the most impossible title. <laughs> like I just, I mean, yeah, I cannot remember it. I cannot say it. Um, but we discussed it in uh, our spring what to watch list, and it still stands head and shoulders. This is an amazing show. It is absolutely worth. Uh, checking out this season i'm a huge fan and i got uh best person cat best girl uh alicia hooked on it as well so we're all watching that together nice 
Yeah, I, I want to pick it up. I just, you know, time. You yeah. Know? <laughs> well, now that now that we're finally recording the Gundam episode, I think that you should hopefully have a little bit more time going forward. Hopefully, yeah. This was a beefy one. It was. And before we even get into all of the Gundam goodness, uh, would you care to take us into our next segment? That leads us straight into uh, coming at you live from Studio WEEB. It's Anime News! maybe not the best transition but we're it's, in it's there a transition to transition man. we are we have transitioned into anime news welcome to our anime news segment yes uh and i am this first news piece is just bonkers yeah it's, it's so crazy. ridiculous i remember when i first saw this it came across my facebook feed and i, I was like what the hell and then i texted you about it because yeah. i saw it like separately from you but basically russia has banned isekai. And as ridiculous as that statement sounds, I promise you it's true. Please don't come at me, Putin. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so uh, in doing a little bit of research for this too, I learned that Russia has actually already banned Crunchyroll. So uh, if you listen to our anime streaming services, I'm sorry, Russia, you can't get Crunchyroll there. Yeah, I don't Uh, think we have any views in Russia anyway. So so far, not yet. (laughs) Putin, get at us. Um... They have essentially added isekai uh, to this ban because they believe that it promotes reincarnation. To which I say, have you not seen ReZero? Yeah. Because I would not want to be reincarnated into that. And I think this is wild too because it's not like... This This is a step further. So it's not like just banning a particular anime or banning a particular theme or a service. This is banning an entire genre mm-hmm. of anime. I think that's wild. Yeah. Um, specifically so far they've banned Konosuba, which I understand. Um, I, I don't. What's wrong with it? It's wholesome family fun. Uh, it features a useless goddess. Oh, well, in that case, get rid of it in our country, too. <laughs> um, no, I love Konosuba. Um, Zombieland Saga, which blows my mind, because, like, that's just, it's so absurd to begin with that yeah. I'm surprised that it would even do that. Uh, and then an anime called Tensura, which I'm not familiar with. Mm. Um... They've also previously uh, banned for violence Death Note, Inuyashiki, and Tokyo Ghoul. Now, see, here's the thing. I can, If you were to tell me that there was an anime banned in a country for violence, Death Note would probably be the first thing I would guess. I'm not saying it should be banned, but that at least I makes can, sense. Yeah, that makes some sense. But, like... I don't like and the rest of this is like I I don't I don't get it. Yeah, so I, I guess the whole idea behind banning uh, this you know isekai and this idea of reincarnation is that they are afraid that people will commit suicide with the promise of a better second life. You know mm-hmm. that they'll be reincarnated into Konosuba's world or something ridiculous like that. Which you know if if Russians are believing that is the case, then maybe there is a different. Yeah, I think there's there's a deeper issue here that we're not talking about. Um, but yeah, so so that's wild. We had to share that with you. Yeah, um, so much for our Moscow tour 2022. Yeah. Um, pivoting back to uh, America, um, <clears throat> Demon Slayer was confirmed as the number one film uh, over the past weekend. Uh, it beat out Mortal Kombat, which I also saw, which mm. was pretty much what you'd expect it to be which is not a bad thing uh it's just a mortal Kombat thing yeah which is pretty wild too though because they were projecting they were saying that demon slayer would win on the friday mm-hmm. 
But they were projecting that overall throughout the weekend, Mortal Kombat would win out, and that wasn't the case. Well, I think part of it, too, is that Mortal Kombat was available for streaming on HBO Max, which is how I saw it. Right. And then, okay, like, yeah. meanwhile, like, I haven't been to the movies in over a year, but, like, the one thing that's going to get me back to see the movies is Demon Slayer, because it came out in, what, October in Japan? Yeah, something, something like, like that. It's been out for a while. It's been out for and a while. And it's been while. topping charts since And it's been too. topping charts. And it's like, it, that to me is like, oh, this is a movie that I'm, you know, willing to go out and go see in theaters for the I first mean, time. If there's any movie that I am going to break quarantine to go see, it is going to be multiple Academy Award winning film, Demon Slayer. <laughs> it won all of the it's Academy crazy. Awards. I still can't believe it. It's yeah. wild. Um, yeah. Uh, so at, as of right now, uh, opening weekend, it made $6.4 million opening, which is not crazy, but in COVID times is actually pretty decent. I think yeah. when, um, uh, what's it called? The, the movie where the Christopher Nolan that came out. Over oh, summer. uh, Tenet. Tenet. Yeah. When Tenet came out, it, opening weekend, it made less than $20,000, which yeah. like in normal times would have easily made over 200000 um, but as of now, uh, Demon Slayer has made $456 million globally, which I just want to point out is a quarter of one Avengers. Yeah. Which is for an animated movie, especially for, you know, when we're talking globally, Yeah, that's pretty incredible. It's almost half of a billion dollars, which is like for an anime is just absolutely insane. Yeah. Um, and up next in the news, uh, we're going to talk about the production house uh, Katakawa, um, who you've definitely seen like in the opening credits before. If you've watched any anime <laughs> you... before, you've seen Katakawa. Yeah, there's it's usually like a 25% chance it's a Katakawa joint. They've also done <laughs> a significant portion of all the major manga that's out right now. Oh, so. yeah. Um, and actually, we talk about that a little bit in this, too. Um, so Katakawa just had their investors meeting, um, and they've set an ambitious goal to output 40 new anime by March of 2023. This is a 20% increase from their usual target of 33 in that time frame. In order to achieve this, they're looking at building a world-class 3D CG production studio and gathering the world's best creators for it. So essentially, they're going to try and build this in-house CG studio that they can just like get people to come in and just like continue pumping out stuff. Um, they've also announced that Wednesday they uh, acquired the U.S. company J Novel. Um, which is a major U.S. Uh, manga publisher. Katakawa intends to strengthen its ebook business by driving further expansion of its light novel business into the English market through acquisitions uh, and in partnership with Bookwalker. Um, so it, it, anytime you're bringing more content from Japan to the U.S., I'm on board. Um, yeah, this is absolutely huge, especially because when you consider light novels do make up a very distant minority of all of the Japanese media that is consumed in the United States. And it's also a huge deal because, listen, uh, growth is good, especially yeah. when it comes to anime, because more anime that gets made in Japan translates to more anime that comes out here in the U.S. Now, the one thing I do want to say is that, you know, I do hope that, um, you know, in this kind of massive expansion, um, the the creators don't get lost in the shuffle. Yeah. Because, you know, it's always the... it's The crunch always comes down on the animators. It comes down on the writers. 
Um, so, you know, I kind of hope that this is taking that into account. Um, but overall, this is good news for anime in general, especially when you consider Kadokawa a massive production house uh, that they are. Um, expansion is a good thing. Absolutely. Um, in other news, uh, they're opening up an isekai museum. Is it in Moscow? <laughs> it is not in Moscow. <laughs> um, that would be banned, actually. Yes, it would. <clears throat> um, so the isekai museum is going to be featuring stuff from ReZero, Overlord, Konosuba, uh, Saga of Tanya the Evil. Um, yeah, and it's going to be opening up in the Katakawa Cultural Museum, uh, and it's going to be available to check out from July 17th to September 26th. So any uh, weebs or weeblets in uh, Japan, please check it out. Yeah. Let us know how it is. Or, or, or get us uh, all them good sponsorship bucks, and we'll go check it out and tell yeah, you how yeah, it yeah. is. Yeah, you know, uh, any, you know, sponsors, check us out. Speaking of big sponsorship box this episode of the best boys is sponsored by loot crate loot crate is your premier nerd subscription box service not only do they offer loot anime crate but they even have a special gundam box so whether you're a hardcore gundam nerd an anime addict or call some other pop culture fandom your home loot crate has a box for you check the link in our show notes and use promo code best boys at checkout for 15 percent off your order and remember, happy looting! Um, Justin, I know you want to talk about this next thing. Yes, I'm very excited for this. And that is, our next item in anime news is Made in Abyss Anime Gets the Second TV Anime Season. Uh, it's going to be coming out in 2022. Hell yeah. Super excited. It's going to be called Made in Abyss The Sun Blazes Upon the Golden City. Which is just a badass game. Yeah, that's a banger yeah it's it's really going to be really good they're they're developing a uh, 3d action rpg alongside of it called binary star falling into darkness also, also a, a really name. great name uh just all great names all around um it's going to be really good i'm super excited for it yeah the game is uh coming out for playstation 4 switch and pc uh which means that we'll be able to play it mm-hmm. um i'm excited for that listen i love a good old school acting. rpg yeah yeah uh and you know what honestly this show lends itself it has a lot of rpg elements to it so i think that it, it could actually make a good rpg uh i'm just excited for the second season that it feels like forever since the first season came out. it feels like forever but when you consider what we got the movie what was it was it early last this year, year or the end of last year yeah. that we got the movie um so it hasn't been terribly long, yeah because but i'm excited the first for season came out maybe four years ago yeah something like that yeah. so yeah it was probably like a like a three-year gap and then we got the movie and then we're gonna have the next season uh next year um so it should be great yeah and an rpg yep and an rpg to boot so you know what yeah all good things <laughs> it'll be bloody and chibi and great yeah um Flying Lotus, uh, Yasuke uh, has said that the Yasuke anime uh, is just the beginning and they have big plans for the franchise. So uh, musician Flying Lotus teased on Twitter uh, uh, that the sixth episode of LaShawn Thomas's and Mappa's Yasuke will serve as the introduction to this world. He added that we have big plans for Yasuke and this is just the beginning. So uh, I, I personally have only seen the first episode. I liked what I saw. Mm-hmm. Um, it is definitely heavy on the magic and mechs uh, side of things. Um, right. But, you know, I, I, I think that 
representations of black stories in anime are something that we could use more of. So absolutely, it, and one one of the one of the things you know one of the criticisms that we've heard so far from Yasuke is that people are a little people wanted more of a historical story, mm -hmm. but what they don't tend to understand is that Yasuke follows in the tradition of a lot of other um, shows and stories. Uh, in a genre called Afrofuturism. So what this envisions, even though we're not technically talking about the future in the case of Yasuke, it envisions black stories within the realm of sci-fi and fantasy. Um, and I think that's a, what Yasuke was really trying to capture. So I understand when you know people are a little more, people wanted more of a historical drama piece, which is would be interesting set around this character of Yasuke. But I do think that... Um, the story that Yasuke has to tell is very important. I, um, and I'm excited to see that the universe is going to be expanding. Yeah. On that note, I kind of always caution people to not compare stories to the ones they have in their heads. Right. Um, I think that's a, a, a something that a lot of people fall into where they have an idea of how things should have ended. I think Game of Thrones is a, a perfect example of this. Like, everyone had theories about how it should have ended. And, like, I'm not, you know, making excuses for it or anything like that. But I think that it's more important to take a look at the story that the creators give to you and judge it on its own merits, not how much better you thought it could be. Because if that's the case, you should go make that. Um, but, yeah, I, I think... For the story that it's telling, I, I enjoy what I have seen so far, and I look forward to watching the rest of it. Yep. Um, uh, this next news I'm actually really excited about, just because I think it's a, a really positive thing. Um, so the creator of My Hero Academia, um, Kohei... Hirokoshi? Horikoshi. Horikoshi. Ah, close. <laughs> um, has said that the, the manga is on track to end in the way that he originally planned on it, um, which is, especially for a shounen anime, is like uh, almost unheard of, right? Yeah. Like that was kind of the downfall of Dragon Ball Z, of Yu Yu Hakusho, of like all these shows where there was just so much pressure put on um the animator that you know they weren't able to bleach is another one yeah uh ended in the way that they wanted to so i am really happy to just have my hero get the story that it wants to get told um because i more than anything i'm there for the overarching story of my hero absolutely yeah i'm, I'm super excited about that so far this season of my hero has been really good um so yeah i'm glad to see that it's going to end in a way that the creator feels is satisfying um, and not end up dragging out forever and ever the, the sake of for the sake of money, basically. Yeah. Um, but yeah, next up on anime news, we have our final story for today, uh, and that is a life-size Freedom Gundam statue in Shanghai opens for public viewing. Yes, that's right. That is a one-to-one -one scale model of the Freedom Gundam opening up in front of the Mitsui Shopping Park La Porte in Jinkou, uh, in Shanghai. Um, it opened for public viewing on Wednesday. Uh, the completion of the statue coincides with the opening of the Gundam-based Gunpla store in the, sh the same shopping complex. That reminds me, I actually have a Gundam-based exclusive model in my cabinet that I need to build. I'm going to do that at some point before the end of this summer. But a cornerstone-laying ceremony was carried out on the Gundam's head on Monday. Using a large-scale crane, the head was lifted 18 meters into the air and placed on the, bottom, uh, the body of the statue. The formal opening ceremony will be held on May 28th, and it will be streamed online 
via the Chinese video streaming service Bilibili. Uh, to commemorate the opening of the statue, Premium Bandai opened orders on Wednesday for two new Gunpla models, a small toy, and a six apparel items uh, six apparel items inspired by the Freedom Gundam. These items can be purchased in Japan from the Freedom Gundam uh, version GCP pop-up shop website. Uh, they are probably already sold out by the time you've heard this, if there's anything that I know about Premium Bandai. Uh, they probably sold out about 15 to 20 minutes after they opened orders. Um but uh, protagonist Kiriyamato pilots the 18.03 meter tall XGMF X10A Freedom Gundam mobile suit midway through Mobile Suit Gundam Seed. Uh, that's about 59 feet tall for those of you who uh, speak Imperial. Uh, this is super exciting. This is the fourth. It's the third or fourth. Third. Um, no, it's I think because it's the third because the last one in Yokohama is not done yet. Um, Gundam one to one Gundam statue to exist in the world. The other two are one in Japan. Moves. One of them moves. There's the fourth one in Yokohama that is going to be completely movable. That Ooh. one, yeah, that one opens soon. They're working on it right now. That's cool. Um, so this is you know this is a pretty good way to segue into the meat it's and potatoes of our episode. As if we planned it that way. And you know what? We did. <laughs> Welcome to the Gundam episode, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, friends of the pod. Here we go. We are going to talk about Gundam. We're going to do it all day long. Um, But first, you know, Dan, we don't don't have this on the outline here, but I kind of want to ask you, prior to, you know, us planning on doing this episode, what was your exposure to Gundam? What was your experience with the Gundam franchise? With the Gundams? With the Gundams. Your giant fighting robots. Are you kids watching your Gundams in there? (laughs) You watching the Gundams, your 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 Chinese robot cartoons? Oh god. <laughs> um I mean, I, I think honestly, so I'm not the biggest Gundam person. It's not that I have anything particularly against it. Um you know, if, if you want, we can kind of talk about the kind of um stereotypes I have in my head of yeah, Gundam. Sure. Yeah, I wanna hear um, it. Because I, I feel like I'm probably not alone in that kind of world. So my experience with Gundam is probably similar to a lot of people our age in that, like, I watched Gundam Wing mm-hmm. on Toonami. Absolutely. Um, and that's pretty much it. Right. Um, you know, I've seen, like, bits and pieces here. Like, when Gundam Seed was airing, I watched a little bit of that. Um but uh, that's pretty much it. Like, I could not tell you anything from the plotline of that show. Right. Um, I remember there was one Gundam with, like, wings, and that was really pretty. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> it had feathers for some reason. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. I, so, I have, like I said, I've never really had a problem with Gundam. There's just kind of, A, there's been just the scope of it. Like, there's right. just it's so massive. much. It's like, where the hell do you start? Which I think we're probably going to answer at some point in this episode. Oh, we sure are. Um, and honestly, you kind of pointed me in the direction already of where to start. Um, but yeah, I, I would say the scope was a big thing. Um, the other thing about Gundam, I think, is that it is... I mean, they're 
they're dramas, they're military dramas, but Gundam in and of itself is its own kind of genre, just in the it way that is, they tell yeah. stories. And from what I remember as a kid, you know, these stories were on these kind of like grand, like, you know, levels of like nations at war, planets at war. And it was a lot of like military and political intrigue and that sort of stuff. And like, especially as a kid, I wasn't so much into that. I didn't probably didn't really get into it until I watched like The West Wing or House of Cards when right. I grew up. Um but I think there's a lot of elements of that in it. And it's just told on such a different scale than I think we're typically used to. So usually you're following around a protagonist and they may have like world altering events going on. But like usually the scope of the stories are really small. Right. Whereas I think Gundam tries to tell very personal stories as a part of a much larger piece. Absolutely. Yeah, you're absolutely um, correct about that. Um, which in some ways can be intimidating and, and maybe one of the reasons why I've stayed clear of it for this time but yeah. but i have jumped in now and i very much enjoyed it and i'm excited to learn more and, and talk about my experiences with it excellent yeah so we are we're gonna dive right in we're gonna talk all about gundam we're gonna talk about the history we're gonna talk about the tropes we're gonna talk about the timelines yes can, that's plural there are can i so flip many. it on you real quick i'm yeah, curious as to like what what got you into gundam and then what what got it to like sink its like teeth into you sure so what got me into gundam is like you were saying the same thing that got a lot of us into gundam which is gundam wing <laughs> and i think a, a lot of the, we're going to talk about this later when we actually talk about gundam wing but the reason why gundam wing drew us in a lot because it wasn't the first gundam show to air in the united states mm -hmm. but the reason why it grabbed so many people especially at our age group was because unlike many of the other gundam stories it had a story, it had a very personal story to tell about the protagonist. And yes, they were involved in much larger geopolitical, you know, events. But the thing that uh, Gundam Wing differs uh, from, from a lot of other Gundam shows is that that story is told from a very personal point of view of our main protagonist. Um, where I went from there, actually, to be entirely honest with you, at first, almost nowhere. Uh, I watched G Gundam as a kid. It was fine. It didn't leave any lasting impressions on me. And then I didn't really watch a whole lot of Gundam after that until I was like uh, probably my early 20s, I would say. Like maybe, you know, 20, when I was 20, 21 years old. And um, it was, you know, I, I think it was Gundam Seed that I first, that I watched was the next uh, major thing. And like I just, it was so interesting to me how... I was watching this different show. It was completely different from Gundam Wing. And I was getting the same kind of tropes and story beats, but being told from a different perspective. And that kind of led me to explore the wider Gundam universe, you know, branching out from there to 8th MS Team, uh, Gundam Unicorn, Double Zero. You know, I kind of, I didn't go in a, in a chronological uh, direction when I was, you know, consuming Gundam shows. I kind of just got whatever was available. Like if... You know, Gundam Double Zero was on Hulu. I watched that. Gundam Seed was on Netflix. I watched oh, that. You back know. in the anime streaming days where it was just like, what can I get my hands on? Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly what it was. Because this was before I had Crunchyroll or Funimation mm -hmm. or anything like that. It was like whatever was on Netflix or Hulu... Uh, that was what I watched. Um, and I, I watched a lot of bad anime that way. Oh, yeah, me too. You're not the only one. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of how I, I, I got into Gundam after that. It was only it was only after I had developed a solid foundation 
um, in the fan base. I had, you know, had begun building model kits and like really getting into the like the the culture and the meat and potatoes of this kind of fandom that I started watching, you know, timelines in chronological order and like thinking critically about the shows. Um, But that's kind of how I got into it. Um, you know, as we're talking about the scope of my entryway into Gundam, let's talk about the scope of this episode. What we are going to talk about and what we're not going to talk about. Because if we were going to talk about every single thing that has to do with Gundam, uh, we would, this episode would be, this would be this its would own be, podcast. Yeah, this would be, it would be the best boys of yeah. Gundam podcast. We couldn't do it. So what are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about the history of the Gundam franchise. We're going to talk about the widely varied and at times very confusing timelines within that franchise. And we're going to talk about the Gundam model kit building phenomenon. What we are not going to talk about, and I am sorry, I know there are some of you out there who are ginormous Gundam nerds, and you're going to be angry at us, but we just simply don't have the time to talk about everything. We're not going to be talking about the manga. I haven't read them, and there's so many of them that we could do an entire episode on, of it just on its own. Uh, we're not talking about SD Gundam. I know some of you out there are huge fans of it. It's not my thing. I don't know much about it. And it, on its own, has several unique timelines. Question. Yes. What's SD Gundam? SD Gundam is a super deformed Gundam. That's the, the actual <laughs> name of it. <laughs> it's basically like... That would be my Gundam. Right? It's basically like little Kill chibi me. versions of Gundam. So oh, like okay. The, the mobile suits... And it's called super deformed Gundam? Well, because they're like really short, but they have really big heads. And so it's pop vinyl Gundam. Honestly, yeah. It's it's a lot like, like Funko Pop kind of ver- like kind of art style okay. and they have their own like the Gundams aren't like like the mobile suits aren't piloted like they have their own personalities they're their own thing okay. and they like get into hijinks and like some of them are like historical pieces and then others are just like comedy routines so like there's so much of it that I, I really we really can't even get I, into it I'm and getting I, like just from this description like Isekai Quartet vibes it is kind of like the Isekai Quartet of Gundam and it <laughs> it, it just it doesn't interest me all that much so I don't have a whole lot to say about it okay. so we're not going to cover it in this episode check it out let us know what you think of SD Gundam yeah the other thing uh, another thing we're not going to talk about is most of the OVAs in the Gundam series because there are so many OVAs in Gundam uh, I haven't seen all of them. In fact, I haven't seen most of them because there are so many. Um, and there are just too many to include in this episode, so we just can't cover all of them. We're going to cover a few, um, but really it's, it's, it's pretty limited. Um, and we are not also going to cover every single Gundam installment. Again, there isn't the time. Uh, like we just said, it could easily be the subject of its own podcast if we really wanted to cover every single entry into the Gundam world. If you're a hardcore Gundam otaku, I apologize in advance. I know I'm going to skip at least one show that you feel is irredeemable of me to skip and that I am an awful fan but of we're Gundam for not touching the, on. the big points, and honestly, at this point, like to prevent this from turning into a three or four part or we have to limit it at some point we're already at 19 full pages of notes for this yeah and like believe me it was hard to pare it down to what we did like i there was i had to sacrifice some shows and some installments and some ovas that i think are super important to the gundam cultural universe that we just don't have the time to talk about um so, you know, it, it, don't think that I'm skipping stuff just because I think it sucks or that because I don't know about it. Um, 
it, it, we just we really had to we had to limit it as much as we could. Um, but if there is something that I missed that's important to you that you think that you need to tell me about or that you have a personal connection to that you want to talk about, hit us up by email at thebestboyspod at gmail.com or on Twitter and Instagram at bestboys underscore pod. And Dan, I think if you're ready, let's get right on into it. Let's do it. Alright, so what is Gundam? Uh, that is the question that's on the minds of at least what, some of you. What's a Gundam? What is a Gundam? What is a Chinese fighting robot? <laughs> the short answer is Gundam is an anime franchise centered around giant fighting robots. Oh. That's probably no surprise to most of you. Most people are at least somewhat culturally aware of what Gundam is. Um, uh, it was even in... Yeah, I was thinking about this uh, earlier today when I read that. And I was like, you know what? Uh it was in um, Ready Player One. Ready That's Player One. Yep. That's a hundred percent it. But like that was a big blockbuster movie, and dude, when that when the Gundam appeared, like people lost their shit. Yeah, the because theater. even even if and we're gonna get into this a little bit later, but like even if you don't necessarily know what Gundam is, you've seen a Gundam somewhere before. Also, how have we not had like a major Hollywood Gundam movie? We might soon. Oh. Yes, we might soon. They're working on one. Um, But the full answer to this question of what is Gundam is a little bit more complex and nuanced. Uh, Gundam has surpassed the status of a simple anime or even an anime franchise. Gundam is a phenomenon not just in Japan, but for nerds around the world. Uh, You don't get 18 plus meter tall statues, that's statues plural, around the world just for being a good show. And uh, there are at least, what, two or three in Japan. One of them moves. There's another in China we talked about earlier in the in the uh, the news section. It's frequently referenced in mainstream pop culture. Like Best Boy Dan was saying, it's in Ready Player One. Um, when people think of giant robots, they often think of Gundams. When they're not thinking of Transformers That's and when probably, they're not confusing the two. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably what comes to my head is just like a, a Gundam like yeah. first thing. Even if like even if you have very little contact with anime or nerd culture, like chances are pretty high you've seen an image of a Gundam somewhere. Um so, you know, it's 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 a it's a worldwide phenomenon. Now, as far as we talk uh, getting into like what is Gundam as a show, what is Gundam as a franchise, what is Gundam as a story, uh, there are some common tropes and themes that you'll find in many, but not all, Gundam shows, and we're going to talk about a couple of them. Um, The first one, and this is a big one, and it's going to come as a shock to a lot of you, but Gundam almost always features giant fighting robots. Oh, my God. Mind blown. (laughs) Mind blown. There are some exceptions to that rule, surprisingly enough, Uh, like Gundam Build Fighters, but we'll talk about that later. (laughs) The other really major um, trope that you will find in Gundam shows is child soldiers. Now, they usually kind of skirt around this, um, (laughs) with one very notable exception, but essentially every Gundam show features teenagers fighting in wars and dealing with the effects of being involved in these massive, brutal wars. Which I I think is worth pointing out that, like, this is also something that is 
just prevalent in anime in general, right? Most of these stories tend to take place around, especially shonen type stories, right? Around teenagers. So you can like kind of put yourself into their shoes and like Gundam is a, a perfect example of it. But like in anime overall, like why are we okay with children like going and fighting for us? Like even My Hero Academia, like they're in yeah. school, but yeah. they're dealing with life and death situations. Could you imagine like you know, a 13 year old today and being like, all right, get in the robot Shinji. Yeah. It's wild. You got to go to war. And they'd be like, but my Xbox. Yeah. It's crazy because like that, that kind of, it it didn't really dawn on me, you know, watching Gundam until I watched iron blooded orphans. Yeah. And I was like, Oh wow. There's a lot of child soldiers in this. And then I thought about it. I was like, wait a minute. All of the protagonists of Gundam are all child soldiers. Yeah. Like, this is not new. And that, and that was one really nice part of Iron-Blooded Orphans is that they actually, like, tackle that head on. Yeah. And we're going to talk a little bit about how though, that got them in some trouble later. But. It does, though. I will also say they they don't make it as bad as it should be sometimes. They kind of do, <laughs> but they kind of don't. But yeah. anyway. Um, yeah. So, child soldiers, it's a thing. It happens in Gundam. It happens in a lot of shonen anime. Uh, which Gundam is, of course, it's a shonen. Um, it almost always is, uh, with the exception of like maybe one or two shows, which are probably more in the seinen category. But moving on. Oh, you mean there's no rom com? There Gundams? are no. Well, I don't know. Maybe SD Gundam has some rom coms. <laughs> but um, moving on, we have uh, masked antagonists. So many Gundam shows have an antagonist who wears a mask. Um, their motivations are almost always mysterious. Uh, we got the template for this trope. Uh, in Chara's novel from the original Mobile Suit Gundam. Is that the guy with the, like, um... With the visor? Like a, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's nice. That's exactly who I think of when I think of, like, Gundam villains. Yeah, exactly. He's classic. But then also, like, you get one that a lot of people would probably be more familiar with, especially here in the West, which is Zex Marquis from um, Gundam Wing. He was the dude who had the helmet. Um, he wore red. He was literally just a, a clone of Char. Um, like, actually? No, 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 no. But in a, oh, in a okay. different timeline. <laughs> I mean, there are other know. clones of Char, but we can get into that oh, another time. Oh, Don't get me started. Oh, Pandora. Yeah. Is that your box? Let me open it. Yeah, almost every Gundam show has an antagonist who wears a mask. Um, Iron-Blooded Orphans has two. Uh, yeah, Iron-Blooded Orphans has two. Like, there are some shows that have more than one. I honestly, off the top of my head, can't think of one that doesn't. I'm sure there is at least one. But um, it's a very common trope. Another one is space objects used as weapons. Uh, this is common across many Gundam timelines, and that is where uh, the antagonists, or even sometimes the protagonists, because Gundam in Gundam the good guy bad guy dichotomy is a little bit more gray than in a lot of other shows. Um, they will use a space colony or an asteroid or some other massive object to inflict catastrophic damage on the Earth. This is often referred to as a colony drop. Uh, I think the original, the first time they did Which it... Which is very in, different than a new soggy drop. It's very different, and we're not going to talk about it. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think the first time they did it, it was a colony. There have since been, like, asteroids, like, mega barges, all sorts of things have been dropped on the Earth as massive kinetic weapons. Yeah, they um, picked up uh, Sokovia and tried to drop that. Oh, wait, no, that was Ultron. Different show. Different <laughs> thing. Uh, he also wore a mask, kind of, if you count him being a robot as not having a face um we <laughs> have the on. accidental protagonist uh trope uh and that is where the main character is not the person who's meant to be piloting the gundam that is a trope that dates back to the original mobile suit gundam where amuro ray who is the main character of mobile suit gundam kind of ends up in the pilot seat of the gundam by accident 
I, you know what, in all honesty, I think that is something that I think every, I mean, they all came from Gundam, but every mech show I can think of yeah. has that same trope to well, it. Well, this like, is, this Martian is like. Nadesco is the same thing, like, uh, even, um, uh, the Guillermo del Toro movie, uh, Pacific Rim. Yeah. It's like the same thing. Well, that's one of the things that's so iconic about Gundam is that a lot of the tropes, not even just in mecha anime and mecha, you know, shows in general, a lot of these tropes that we're talking about are original yeah. to Gundam. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, the, um, you know, the mass antagonists, the giant fighting robots, the, uh, there's something it's called the, the, if you look on, um, oh, what's the name? There's a website that lists a bunch of movie and TV tropes. And one of them is called the bright slap. You got no right. Not even my own father hit me before. I've got no more time for you. And that comes from bright Noah, who is the captain of the ship in mobile suit Gundam, constantly slapping people. <laughs> Usually the main character when he's being a little bitch. But like... I kind of want to watch that just for that. It's great. It's also weird because they it's just super, super normal for them to hit women in that show because it was made in the 80s. That, but, that not so much. You know, it, 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 this show, it, it, it's so iconic because it spawned so many of the tropes that we don't even necessarily recognize as it coming from this show. Um the one of the other uh, major tropes from this one is the organized evil. So the bad guys usually organize themselves either as brutal fascists in the face of um, the principality of Zeon, who are literally just space Nazis, and then you have like the corrupt bureaucratic like federation, which is basically any of the Earth federations. Either you get them in. You know the Universal Century timeline, or you get in the Gundam Wing with the the United Earth Sphere Alliance. Um, but basically, the bad guys usually organize themselves in one of those two uh, types of uh, frameworks. Um, the next one we have is the Beam Saber. This is the weapon of a Jedi Knight, not as clumsy or random as a blaster. An elegant weapon for the more civilized age. And of course, if it's a Gundam show, you gotta have a beam saber. They take all shapes and sizes, but they're always around. Uh, sometimes the bad guys get axes instead. Those are pretty cool. Uh, there are also cases of Gundams wielding massive flails or big hammers instead of uh, beam saber. There but were a lot of spears. And there are some spears. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but even you know, even in the case where you do have Gundams with massive hammers and stuff, there are also still you know, mobile suits with swords. Like, the beam saber is always in Gundam shows. Um, and, you know, why not? Why not have robots with lightsabers? I mean, yeah. If you want to put something <laughs> on my headstone, that's what you should put. Okay, I will remember that. Um, many Gundam shows have a strong anti-nuke or war or anti-pollution message. Um, this kind of comes out of uh, a tradition because in the, you know, in the late 70s, early 80s, in Japan, still grappling with the um, the kind of like the cultural fallout of the the nuclear bombing of Nagasaki and Hiroshima, um, and a lot of shows that kind of came out in this time period dealt with an anti nuke message, um, and you know most notably in the UCNCE timelines where both sides are constantly just throwing nukes at each other. So like obviously this is going to be a thing that comes up. Uh, Gundam's also show uh, Gundam shows also spent a lot of time exploring anti-war messages, which you'll note if you watched Gundam Wing. Um, 
you know, pacifism is something that they explore a lot in positive and negative lights. Um, and you also get a lot of anti-pollution messages where a lot of times either the good guy or the bad guy of the show will be kind of uh, fighting against the pollution of the earth. And a lot of times this takes the form of the antagonists kind of wanting to wipe out all life on the planet as a way of preserving Earth. It's not the worst idea. Yeah, like, there have been worse <laughs> ideas, you know? Thanos was right. Yeah, but a lot of times this whole... Um, this takes the form of the main character being torn between uh, two frames of mind where it's like either war is the only answer or total pacifism, right? And they kind of move back and forth between the two before settling on a middle option. And that usually involves them somehow managing to incapacitate enemy mobile suits without killing the pilots in ways that are fantastic and a bit silly. Um, but then there are some other shows like Iron-Blooded Orphans where they abandon this idea entirely, um, which is interesting in and of itself. Um, I mean, they still, they definitely have like the anti-war like things in it, but it, you're, we were talking about this and that it is definitely more of an anti-capitalism message more yeah, than anything else. Absolutely. Um, which the way that they portray it, I think, is very interesting, too. Yeah, because they, they kind of, they don't do this thing where the pilot, like, the main character has this crisis of conscience where, like, he realizes that he's killed a bunch of people and is like, oh, I should not kill people a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't do that in Iron Blooded Orphans. No. <laughs> like, for, they do that for, like, half a second. Like, there's one person that he, like, fights who's like, you really enjoy the killing of men, don't you? And then afterwards, he's like, Oh, and then the next episode, he's like, all right, back to killing men. Yeah, he's like, yeah, okay, I do. Sure, why not? That's what um, I do. But uh, one of the last the last trope that we're going to talk about that's common among many Gundam shows is the trope of the new type. So they don't always call it a new type. Sometimes it goes by the name of coordinators or innovators. But basically, these Gundam shows often explore the theme of people, often children or teenagers, whose consciousness has been expanded by being born in space or by like having this um, wider experience of the world, of living off of the planet Earth. Um, and some shows approach this as a kind of psychic evolution where new types are able to empathetically link with each other and are like hyper aware in battle. And then other shows like Gundam Seed kind of approach this as an actual new evolution of the human species. Um, and in both cases, there is almost always an attempt by normal humans to replicate this using like unethical medical procedures, uh, often producing an unstable and damaged antagonist that the main character has to grapple with at some point. Um, like, like the, uh, I want to call it the Alola Vignanis, but that's not the right way. The Alea Vignanis. Alea Vignanis. This Alola. Is, that's actually a different trope. Um, Alola is the name of the region in Pokemon that looks like Hawaii. <laughs> yeah. What, what we're thinking of more more accurately would be like the cyber new type of the uh, UC timeline, wherein basically they use a bunch of drugs and hypnosis to kind of expand the awareness and the reaction times of normal people. But then it kind of backfires because these people always end up kind of crazy. Um, sure. Well, if you're going to do, you know, experiments on people. Yeah. Maybe just, space. maybe just don't. Yeah. Is my answer. Um, but yeah, that's kind of it for the tropes and themes. Uh, best boy, Dan, you got any questions move before we move on to our next, uh, segment? Here? No, I would love for you to tell me what exactly is a Gundam. What's that? 
A Gundam? So anyone who's spent more than a few minutes watching a Gundam show will notice that there are many different types of big robots fighting each other. Uh, are they all Gundams? No, they're not. Uh, the giant robots in Gundam shows are mostly called mobile suits. There are some more distinctions that we won't get into just for the purposes of this section. Uh, we'll call them all mobile suits. Now, only some of these mobile suits are Gundams. What makes a mobile suit a Gundam varies between timelines and even shows within timelines. Uh, but some examples are specifically uh, designed armor. So the Gundams in UC are made out of lunar titanium, while in Gundam Wing they're made out of Gundanium alloy, which is how they get their name. <laughs> Gundanium. Isn't that cool? It's um, almost as bad as unobtainium. Yeah. Um, then there are also some, uh, you know, Gundams that have special power units like the GN Drive, or in the case of Iron-Blooded Orphan, they are uh, extremely powerful relics of a past war, uh, and then current mobile suits are basically like inferior copies. Um, it can get kind of confusing if you dive too deep into it, but basically Gundams are superior versions of the regular mobile suits and are piloted by the main character, a few of their allies maybe, and possibly like an antagonist or two who manages to get their hands on one. Uh, but generally, uh, they are the exception rather than the rule when it comes to giant fighting robots in Gundam shows. Um, when you're talking about, you know, when it comes to like Gunpla and stuff like that, uh, we generally refer to the non-Gundam mobile suits as grunt suits. So, like, you have your Leos from Gundam Wing, or you have the Zakus, which are kind of iconic from the Universal Century timeline. And for those of you who maybe are sort of into Gundam, but you don't know the names, those are the ones with the big pink mono eyes. You they're, should... they're, like, usually green, right? Yeah, they're usually and, like, green. Stout and... Hey, yeah, they they have like a little like a knight's helmet face, and they have just like a glowing one glowing pink eye. Does Zaku mean potato in Japanese? I don't know because in um, Yoamushi Petal, one of the bad guys refers to people as Zakus or like small potatoes, uh -huh. and then the main character is like, "Wait, are you into anime?" That might be a bad translation of small fry. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because Zaku's are generally like you would refer to someone as a Zaku, like kind of in the same way as like you would refer to someone as an NPC. Yeah. Okay. So it's something similar to that. Um, so yeah, I don't know how you say <laughs> potato in Japanese. I know how you say it in French, which is I, I think, I think, I think it's small fry. I think that's beautiful. I, I think it is a translation of small fry, and I'm yeah. just remembering. But um, yeah, so I mean, I you know, I guess we can go ahead uh, now that we know what a Gundam is. Um, which is probably pretty important if we're going to talk about Gundam for the next three hours. Um, <laughs> it's not going to be three more hours. Maybe just two more hours. Maybe just two. Uh, <laughs> we're going to talk about the history of Gundam. Um, we're going to talk about it from the start. Uh, in the late 1970s, Sunrise, a little, you know, little little studio you may have heard of yeah. called Sunrise, um, at that time still a fledgling anime studio with no original anime under its belt, made a deal with a toy company called Clover to produce three original robot anime shows directed by Yoshiyuki Tomino. Uh, you probably haven't heard of the first two. They were called Muteki Chojin Sambot 3. Oh, and yeah. Muteki Chojin Daitarn 3. They really liked the number three. I don't know why. Um, I d have never seen these shows. Uh, but the third was, of course, Mobile Suit Gundam. Yeah, never heard of it. 
The yeah. first two know all about. Yeah, of course. The famous Muteki Chojin Zambot <laughs> 3. Um, unlike the first two, Tomino kind of leaned away from the superhero aspect and embodied the first two shows and instead opted for a more realistic military-inspired approach to the robot designs and storyline of Mobile Suit Gundam. And for those of you who are a little unfamiliar, what I the difference is kind of like these like so-called superhero robot shows kind of featured... Um, Basically, like, you would think of them, they're similar to kind of, like, Transformers, similar to uh, these kind of robots that had these, like, almost magical powers um, and weren't super grounded in reality when it came to how big they were or what they could do. Um, whereas Mobile Suit Gundam, it, it kind of was the origin, the the origin of the genre that we know of as real robot anime. And, and that's one thing I appreciate about it, too, is that, like, there is always a sense of the size and scale of these like robots. Like yeah. they, they move like, you know, a 60 foot tall, you know, exact thing of metal would move like, which is very different than, you know, an organic material at that size. Absolutely. And like one of the other things that, you know, Tomino was kind of taking into account when it came to thinking of this more realistic robot show was, uh, he kind of abandoned the idea of laser guns because you can't see lasers. And Tomino knew that. So in, you know, instead of having lasers, which is like kind of the catch-all sci-fi weapon, he was thinking more along the lines of particle beams and particle swords, which used, were these uh, beam sabers. too. He used rail guns. You know, it, it was this kind of... Uh, he wanted to capture almost like a hard sci-fi version of these robot anime shows. Um and that kind of lends itself a little bit to the success that Gundam enjoyed, which is why we know Mobile Suit Gundam and we don't know Muteki Chojin Zambot 3. Speak for yourself. Which I know you're a huge <laughs> fan, Best Boy Dan. We'll have a two-parter about that when it's your turn next week. <laughs> but moving on, uh, the mechanical designs of Mobile Suit Gundam were handled by Kunio Okawara. And while the toy company had almost complete control over the designs of the Federation mobile suits, uh, those are the good guys. At least for this series, they become the bad guys later on, but we'll talk about that. Um, which is uh, why you see the, the there's such a huge difference between the Federation mobile suits and the... Um, the Xeon mobile suits, which Okawara was free to do with as he wished, um, leading to those kind of the the creation of the iconic Zaku mobile suit. So, like you have these Federation mobile suits, which are they're white and blue and gold, and they have these big V fins on their heads, mm-hmm. uh, and their eyes glow green. And then you have the Zaku, which is this more militaristic. It's got spikes. It's got a mono eye, which was the only direction that he got. Um, from the director, Yoshiyuki Tomino, who said, basically, you can do whatever you want with the bad guy mobile suits, but they have to have a mono eye, which was iconic. It ended up becoming iconic. That is a thing that you think of when, like, if you're even passingly familiar with Gundam, you remember that the Zakus have mono eyes. Um, it's, it's interesting to me as well, like, how much influence toy companies have. Um, so, a, a story I learned, uh, from uh, best person cat that I think is really interesting is uh, if you recall um, Teen Titans yeah was a show that was super popular back oh, in yeah. the day and Still it kind is of kind of popular yeah and it kind of got abruptly canceled and the reason for that was that the toys were selling so well but specifically 
for girls yep. and uh, eating into more female specifically designed toys. So they actually pulled the show at the request of the toy company. Right. Um, so especially when it comes to, you know, cartoons, anime, animation that have these tie-ins with, you know, uh, toy companies, like they can have an oversized like hand in how like in the production of the show well yeah especially during this time period and when it comes to anime that involves you know robots or superheroes or anything like the toy companies in japan had a lot well, of say so about what went on in the animation additionally industry. uh an interesting point with toy companies in japan is that was one of their biggest ways of economic recovery after world war ii yes, they were was. some of the premier plastic manufacturers and kind of leapfrogged past the U.S. and their toy production capabilities because of that. Yeah. So one of the most, honestly, one of the most powerful industries in Japan, especially at that time, was the toy industry. Right. And there is actually, there is a reason why, um, when it comes to toy companies, that you probably haven't heard of the toy company that was originally involved in Gundam, which is Clover. You probably haven't heard of them before, but we are going to talk about a name that you will recognize a little bit later. But before we get into that, um, I do want to bring up one of the one of the other very important things about the way that these mobile suits were designed, and that kind of ties into the whole real robot aspect of Mobile Suit Gundam, is that contrary to the other two Gundam shows that uh, Tomino was in charge of directing. Um, this one largely take, took place in space. And that is because, you know, looking at these giant robots, these 18 meter tall, you know, hulking machines, Tomino decided like, hey, if these things were real, they would operate way better in space than they would on Earth. I mean, that makes sense. <laughs> and the, the way in which the pilots have to end up dealing with gravity and sand and wind actually comes up in the show. And it's, it's kind of an interesting facet. To quote. Star Wars, I don't like sand. I don't like sand either. It gets everywhere. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but yeah, Mobile Suit Gundam was not initially a hit, uh, and low ratings and the toys and low toy sales resulted in the series being cut from 52 to 43 episodes. However, interestingly enough, shortly after the decision to cut the anime short, the show suddenly enjoyed a major boost in popularity. Um, and shortly after the anime ended its run, Bandai released its first uh, set of Gundam model kits. Now, uh, those are called Gunpla for you mega nerds out there, and we'll talk more about that later. But these Gundam model kits were a huge success in ways that the toys and the action figures never were. So like Clover, Clover's done. Bandai is what it's all about. People are buying these model kits like crazy. Um, and this kind of success opened the door for the release of three compilation films, which provided an opportunity for Tomino to tighten up some of the rougher bits of animation, uh, remove some of the superhero robot elements that were demanded by sponsors um, while the anime was showing poor ratings, and it kind of expand the story of the new types, which is introduced later on in the series. Now, all told, the final compilation film consisted of almost 70% new animation. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's so, like basically a new movie. Exactly. So that kind of it's goes to tell Snyder you, like... the cut of Gundam. Exactly. Which is why, you know, it, it kind of goes to tell you, you know, how much of a tight reign these toy companies had on Tomino while he was developing this show. Um, and how when he was freed from that, he had an opportunity to tell the story that he wanted to tell. Um... 
And in the years after the completion of Mobile Suit Gundam, Tomino continued to develop giant robot anime, releasing four more between 1980 and 1984, none of which had a, the kind of major impact that Gundam did. Uh, and while the sales of Gundam model kits were still strong during this time period, without more content to base new models on, interest was beginning to wane. Now, they had... Um, one thing they did to kind of keep interest going during this time period was they released a kind of... It's it's not a manga and it's not really a magazine. It's somewhere in between, but it was called Mobile Suit Variations, which is where they kind of featured these different types of mobile suits. So, like, you would have, like the desert version of a suit or like the special forces version of a suit. And like, they would kind of have these kind of art graphics and then they would build Gundam model kits on those kind of references. But even that wasn't enough to kind of keep model sales alive. It sounds very familiar to like skins today. It is. Like games. It really is. So like you would have, and, and basically it, it, it's kind of, it's really cool. I'm not going to get into it too much because I promised we wouldn't get into all of this extra stuff, but like mobile suit variations is really cool in that like it allowed these kind of basically like massive nerds to re-envision types of mobile suits that weren't in the show but like to think about like oh like what if we had a mobile suit that was specialized for this type of thing and just basically build it from the ground up and then they would just make a model kit off of that which is wild um but this like i said this wasn't enough to keep it going um and they needed more content and so tomino and okawara were approached with an offer to create a sequel series and the result of this was zeta gundam which was released in march of 1985 and was the first of what would become many gundam sequels now i'm not going to talk about zeta gundam or its sequel double zeta in my next section because frankly they weren't very good in my opinion However, they are important for the history of Gundam because without them, it would just be one show, Mobile Suit Gundam, that came out in 1979, and that would be the end of it. Um, but because of Zeta Gundam and its sequel, that is not the case. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and talk about it a little bit. Now, Zeta Gundam takes place in the year Universal Century 87. It follows a boring and unlikable protagonist named Camille Bidon, uh, as he and some of the survivors of the One Year War end up in, con in a conflict with the now increasingly corrupt Federation government, which snowballs into a full-blown civil war. Now, this show kind of uh, brings back some of the some of the you know iconic members of Mobile Suit Gundam, like Bright Noah. You, you have Kai Shidan who comes back. Um, you know, so it it has that going for it. But the protagonist is just god awful. And you know, one of the one of the major prof, uh, problems with uh, with this show and the the one that comes after it, uh, Double Zeta, is it just has very confusing pacing. Um, it's got a very off-putting kind of comedic element to it where like the original Mobile Suit Gundam is a military drama. It, it, it talks about like global geopolitical strife and then like you have like goofy elements of where like characters like scooby-doo themselves into like these crazy <laughs> situations like oh like for those bright noah all along yeah like so like you have and i would have gotten away with it if it weren't for you kids and that mangy robot <laughs> yeah like in, in the original gundam zeta you have a character named quattro bagina who is literally just just literally just Chara's novel, but instead of wearing a mask, he wears sunglasses. I'm sorry, what what was that name Quattro Bagina. <laughs> yes, that's right. I said that. That's his name. 
<laughs> but like, no, that's hold on, not even, hold on. Here, that look, that is the name of my brothel. <laughs> but the, here's the thing, like, that's funny to you because you've never seen Mobile Suit Gundam. But like, no, the funniest part about it is that they literally they took Chara's novel and they put him in sunglasses instead of a helmet, and they was like, no one will recognize who I am now, but everybody knows who he is. Okay, but also his name is Quattro Bagina. Yeah. So like, <laughs> you're you're kind of you kind of get an idea like this is funny to like like giggle about and laugh about but like coming directly off of like the heavy military drama that is mobile suit gundam and going into this it's like it's it's off-putting it's you know? a me quattro Bagina. exactly so like yeah it, it's it's goofy it doesn't it doesn't do what i want a gundam show to do but luckily enough enough people enjoyed it that it kind of became that it, it became the cornerstone of the future gundam sequels um, but in a good way, I assume. In a sort of good way. So, like, one thing that Gundam Zeta and Double Zeta introduced, again, at the behest of toy companies, was this kind of transforming robot gimmick that never really... I was really interested. popular around that time. Yeah. Because that so, was, like, Transformers era. And yeah, that, that so. was when you had the Transformers. Zoids. So, like, they were like, we want the robots to transform. And that yeah. was not a thing that, like... I'm interested in, but it, it works for some people. It comes back again in other Gundam shows. It comes back in Gundam Seed. But, like, it, it always feels kind of forced and not interesting. Um, and it, it, it's one of the least realistic parts of this so-called real robot genre. Um, but anyway, moving on. I don't like Zeta Gundam or Double Zeta. It, that's the, the underline of this. But for all of its flaws, the success that it did enjoy helped to launch the Gundam Empire that we know and love today. And so with our thanks for that, we'll leave it behind and get into our discussion of the many different timelines Gundam has to offer. There's a lot of them. Like, you had mentioned that there were a lot. And I'm like, oh, yeah, there's going to be, like, three or four, maybe, like, five or yeah. whatever. You know, like a couple offshoots here or there. There's, like, uh, this is, like, you know, Marvel, DC with the amount of, like, timelines they got going on. Yeah, people often don't believe me when I tell them, like, Gundam has many different timelines. Yeah. And it does. And we're going to talk about all of them today. Yeah, so... Tell us about the Universal Century. That's the main one, Yeah, right? so we're going to start off with the Universal Century. It is the Big Daddy. It is the original, the OG. This is the main timeline of the Gundam sh uh, the Gundam franchise. Uh, not only because it uh, includes the original Mobile Suit Gundam, because it has far more entries than all of the other timelines. A lot of the other timelines are one-off, you know, installments. Maybe they'll have a movie Generally, they have an OVA or two. This is the only timeline that has a significant number of actual, you know, main series entries into it. All right, side question. Yeah. How many Gundams would you say there are total? Like, just rough. Gundams? Yeah. Well, not like the actual Gundams, but like the shows. The shows? Uh, like, maybe two dozen? Two dozen? Maybe. If you were to... Shows. It depends. It Like, it's tough because... It depends on, do you consider the OVAs? Right, do you consider just like, the just shows, main shows. Yeah, main shows, maybe like, like 12, 
something like that, 12, okay. and know, 20. And how, like, what percentage of them take place in the UC? Um, okay, so most of them, I would say, take place in the UC. Okay. There are many of them that don't, but like I said, because of the way the timelines work out, most of the timelines end up containing only one show. Gotcha. So, like, you have After Century, which is Gundam Wing. Is right. Gundam Wing is the only entry in that timeline. There are very few Except timelines that have more than one. Yeah. There's, In fact, there's, like, only two or three that do. Okay. Uh, but Universal Century has, like, probably eight or nine on its own. Okay. Um, most of them are OVAs, but then there are some, like, full-length series within the show. Uh, or within the timeline, rather. Uh, and you know we could do we could do an entire episode just on the UC timeline, uh, but in the interest of time, I'm only going to cover a few of the major entries. So we're not going to talk about Zeta Gundam or Double Zeta any more than we already have. Um, we're not going to talk more about. Than you have to. Yeah, we're not going to talk about the myriad OVAs that this timeline has, and there are so many. Um, we're not going to talk about War in the Pocket, which I love and is great, but. We don't have time for it. That sounds like something you get arrested for on an elevator. It's actually about childhood heartbreak, but okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> if we're going to start with Mobile Suit Gundam. The original takes place in Universal Century year 79. It was released, interestingly enough, April 7th, 1979. And this is the one that started it all. Uh, the Principality of Xeon, which are basically space fascists, declare independence from the Earth Federation and thus begins the One Year War. How long does that war take? It lasts eight months, actually. Oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a little more than eight months. But, uh, you know, it's like, what? what is the, the Hundred Years War? That was only like 60-something years, so like, whatever. Maybe you just round up. Yeah. Uh, even though they're much smaller in number, numbers than the Federation, Xeon has the upper hand due to their superior weaponry being the first to develop giant humanoid robots called mobile suits. Nearly half of humanity dies during the brutal stalemate that is the initial eight months of the war. Now, meanwhile, our main character, Amuro Rei, is living on a space colony called Side 7 where his father works as a weapons developer. The colony and the secret research base Amuro's father works at becomes the target of an attack by a Xeon reconnaissance team, and during the confusion, Amuro stumbles across the Federation's new secret prototype weapon, the RX-78 Gundam Mobile Suit. Now, this is the granddaddy Gundam. If you're thinking of Gundams that you know of from pop culture, if is you're thinking the of the, the V... They a lot of them had these, okay. but if like if you're thinking of the Gundam from like, uh, what was the name of that? Uh, Ready Player One. That's this one, the yeah. RX seventy eight. This is the iconic Gundam. Uh, there have been more model kits made of this Gundam than I think there have of any other single subject. Like there are at least twenty of them. Um, it's huge. Amuro manages to figure out how to control the machine, having looked at his father's secret research files before. Apparently, that's all you need to do in order to pilot a giant humanoid fighting robot. I would think it takes a little bit more training than that, but you well, know, I also have created was a massive... literally the user manual. I mean, this is literally what it is. It's literally <laughs> like he skims the user manual and can fight in this it. giant robot. Um, RTFM for the win. Um, and he manages to beat back the Xeon forces. Amuro escapes aboard the newly developed uh, Federation warship White Base, 
with him and a group of other teenagers taking the place of its crew who were mostly killed during the Xeon attack. Under the command of Captain Bright Noah, who was famous for constantly slapping the shit out of Amuro whenever he's being a whiny brat, um, they I leave. I want to watch just for that. It's kind of hilarious. Uh, after leaving Side Seven, White Base and her crew set off on a mission to uh, survive and rejoin the main Federation forces under constant threat by Xeon and often coming into contact with the mysterious mass antagonist Lieutenant Commander Char As Novel. Um, as novel as novel i don't really i always kind of pronounce it like a jewish grandmother but like i don't actually know what as actually, it's a char as nabble oh, i don't i don't really know how that's pronounced but uh um, every time i hear char i just think of like charmander they're like char charmander char, yeah yeah no uh but this listen i initially getting into this show was tough for me because I was coming off of watching a lot of the modern Gundam shows. I think I watched this show after I watched 8th MS Team, which we're going to talk about next. Uh, but, like, the difference between this show and a show that re was released, like, 20 years before it oh, yeah. is I, striking. We could have a whole... I, we should talk about this in another episode, just about, like, old anime and, like, you know, just what a different viewing experience it can be. Yeah, it's something that, if you're not prepared for, will definitely throw you off. Um, but the next entry into our Universal uh, Century kind of retrospective uh, is actually my favorite Gundam series. Uh, and that is Mobile Suit Gundam 8th MS Team, which takes place in the year Universal Century 79, which you'll notice is the same uh, year that Mobile Suit Gundam takes place. And that's because this show actually takes place alongside that show. Now, this was released uh, January 25th, 1996. I was a young, precocious lad of uh, five years old when that came out. Um, and this is probably my favorite Gundam series. It tells a much smaller but still very interesting story. you watch story. this when you were five? Yeah, it's crazy, right? <laughs> no, I actually probably watched this when I was like 22. You were just um, sitting there like, yeah, kill the fascists! Yeah, kill them! Um... But no, this uh, it takes a, it tells a smaller but still very interesting story. It takes place during the One Year War alongside the events of Mobile Suit Gundam. Uh, the main draw of it for me is that it doesn't tell the story of a main character with like special abilities or special access or the latest weaponry, but rather it tells the story of a team of ordinary soldiers who are thrust into extraordinary circumstances during a grueling and brutal war. Um, so the 8th MS team is set roughly one month after the beginning of Mobile Suit Gundam, and it continues to kind of the end of the, uh, the events of that series. Um, and it's set in the jungles of Southeast Asia. Uh, our main character, Ensign Shiro Amada of the Earth Federation, is headed there from space to take command of the 8th MS team, when an unexpected turn of events leads to him having to team up with a beautiful enemy soldier in order to survive being stranded in space. Um, as one does. Uh, but having survived this ordeal, the rookie commander reports to his team on Earth to take part in the brutal guerrilla war between Xeon and the Earth Federation. Xeon, however, is working on an experimental weapon that it hopes will turn the tide of the war, and the pilot is none other than Aina Sahalin, who is the woman that Shiro met in space. Now, when the truth about their connection is discovered, Shiro is arrested for treason and offered a choice. Take his team behind enemy lines and kill Aina or rot in jail for the rest of his life. Um, I really, really love this show. This is, uh, it, first of all, some of the mech designs in the show are just absolutely fantastic. Uh, this whole, like, kind of star-crossed lovers, uh, story element that they have is also really interesting to me. 
Um, How many episodes is this season? Oh, I think this one's like uh, 22. Okay. I think. So like a standard full season. Yeah, like a standard full season, I think. I might be, it might, I might be making that up. I don't remember off the top of my head. Um, But it was really, really good. Um, It had a pretty good sound design. Um, Some of the mech designs, like I said earlier, were really fantastic. Uh, You get the kind of, uh, this is where you see the RX-78, which is the granddaddy Gundam that I was talking about earlier. This is where you start to see some of the mass-produced kind of copies of this uh, Gundam frame. Uh, What's interesting about it is because they're located on Earth, a lot of times what they end up dealing with is, like I mentioned earlier, the effects of gravity and sand and dust and dirt um, that they hadn't prepared for. So a lot of the Gundams are kind of like kit-bashed. So they end up having like parts from all sorts of different mobile suits kind of collected together to repair, you know, one Gundam that is broken down. That's pretty cool. Yeah, so it leads itself to a lot of really unique mobile suit designs. uh, And the story itself is just very interesting and engaging. Um, And and this one you pretty much can't watch without watching the original story that's the major downside of it so you can watch it without watching the original mobile suit gundam but some of the things won't make sense when i first watched it i watched it before i watched mobile suit gundam and i liked it for the reasons that i mentioned earlier but parts of it were kind of confusing to me because i didn't have the background so like Having gone back and watched it, watched it after I watched Mobile Suit Gundam is what led it to become my favorite Gundam show because you have that kind of background, you have the the key context that you need to understand the one year war, um, and the setting that the that the the story kind of exists in. And you were saying to me that like if someone wanted to watch this one, the best way to do it would be to watch the movies. Yeah, we'll get into that a little bit later. Okay, but yeah. Um, Moving on from 8th MS team, the next entry into the Universal Century that we're going to talk about is Mobile Suit Gundam Char's Counterattack, which takes place in the Universal Century year 93. Uh, this premiered in 1988 and was the Gundam franchise's first original movie. Um, it takes place after the events of Gundam Double Zeta, uh, and it features Char's Nabal having bounced around uh, a lot after the events of Mobile Suit Gundam, as we talked about earlier, having lived his life as Quattro Pagina. Um, <laughs> this uh, this movie I've heard of before. This movie is is iconic. It's not un- it's not unusual that you have heard of it before. Um, it was one of the biggest anime movies of its time. Okay. Um, it, 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 and uh, Chara's novel, having returned to lead Neo Zeon, technically the second of three Neo Zeon movements, but we won't get into it because we don't have the time, um, which is an organization that sprung up after the defeat of Zeon during the events of Mobile Suit Gundam and Mobile Suit Gundam Zeta and Double Zeta. Now, uh, it's mostly made up of uh, scattered remnants of Zeon, and their goal is to accelerate what they consider to be the inevitable migration of humanity to space in order to realize their evolution into new types. Uh, as part of this plan, Char has arranged to drop a massive um, uh, asteroid onto the planet Earth and uh, kind of inflict massive damage upon the Earth that would make it necessary for humanity to leave the planet. Um... Now, a special task force named Londo Bell, which includes one-year war veterans Amaro Ray and Bright Noah, the slap guy, uh, is mobilized in an attempt to stop him. 
Now, I'm not going to go any further into the plot than this because it is absolutely required watching before you go and see Hathaway's Flash. If you try to watch Hathaway's Flash without seeing Char's counterattack, you will be confused. Um, uh, also, for the record, Hathaway's Flash is a Gundam movie and not Anne Hathaway getting naked. Yes, that is true. Um, but also maybe not. I haven't seen the movie yet, so we don't know. <laughs> um, but if you're up on the uh, UC timeline and you want to see the new Hathaway's Flash movie, make sure you've seen this one first. Otherwise, it won't make sense. Uh, because Hathaway himself actually comes up in this show. Um, his interactions with his father, who Hathaway is Bright Noah's son, uh, one of his sons, um, that also comes up. So make sure you watch this before you see the new movie. Um, next up, we have Mobile Suit Gundam Unicorn. This is the last one we're going to talk about in the Universal Century timeline. Uh, it takes place in the year Universal Century 96. It originally aired as a seven-part OVA in February of 2010. It was later re-released as a 22-episode series in April of 2016. Now, the story is centered around a mysterious item known as Laplace's, Laplace's box. I'm not 100% on that pronunciation. Laplace's? Laplace's? I don't know. <laughs> Laplace's box is also the name of uh, my brothel. Okay, well, your brothel can only have one name, so figure it out. Um, well, the second name is for when it gets shut down for, like, food violations, and then gets re You're serving food? Well, you get hungry. Anyway. Disgusting! <laughs> anyway, um, regardless of how you pronounce it, uh, it is said to have the power to either restore the future or destroy the world. A group of Neo-Zeon remnants, this is the third of three Neo-Zeon movements, um, they are called the Sleeves. They travel to a colony called Side 4 to receive the key to this mysterious item from Cardius Vist, leader of the Vist Foundation. However, a girl from a noble family named Aubrey Byrne convinces him not to hand over the key as she believes that it will be used by the Sleeves to start another war. Meanwhile, a battle between the Sleeves and Londo Bell breaks out in the colony, leading to its evacuation. Audrey is rescued by our main character, a 16-year-old student named Banager Lynx, who later discovers the mortally wounded Cardius Vist in the cockpit of the highly advanced Unicorn Gundam. Vist entrusts the Gundam to Banager, who launches to fight off the sleeves and escape. Um, and that's, that's all we're going to talk about when it comes to the Universal Century timeline. There is so much more to say, but we don't have the time. Question. Answer. Is there, as of now... Is the Universal Century, like, more or less wrapped up? Uh, here's the thing. The way that they end their shows kind of leaves it in such a way where it could be, but they could also pick up in the future. So, like, Gundam Unicorn is wrapped up, but there's nothing stopping them from creating a story that takes place in UC-150, Right. You know, like they, and that's kind of the way but that they do things. More or less the war is over. The one year, well, the, the thing about this is that the one year <laughs> war has been over for like 30 years when this takes place. And it didn't even take one year. Yeah. <laughs> so like, you know, it, it, is it done for now? Yeah. But they <laughs> Until could Until Unicorn 2. Yeah. But they could also, you know, come up with Mobile Suit Gundam Liger or whatever that comes oh, out in Universal Century One, like a Zoids crossover. I'm into it. Let's I would watch do it. it. I would totally watch it. Liger Zero. Uh, but for it. now, yes, Unicorn is uh, a kind of 
the sort of the end of the Universal Century timeline. We'll we'll talk a little bit more about where the actual end of it is later because it becomes part of four other time three other timelines that merge together into oh, one. Good. That's not confusing at all. Yeah, no, it'll it took, <laughs> listen, if you were confused about this, wait until we talk later about uh uh turn A Gundam. It's gonna get weird. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Um Yeah, so Universal Century, timeline, under the belt. Done. We did it. Moving on to the next one. Thus concludes part one of this extra thick Gundam episode. Join us May 16th, 2021 for part two. And now, scenes from the thrilling conclusion. The year is after Colony 195. Next up, we have the future century. The Gundam for the Netherlands is literally a Gundam with a fucking windmill for a chest. And this one is where it starts to get complicated. Gundam X gonna give it to ya. The main core Gundam of this show has a fucking mustache. Dispose of the adults is a is a nice way of saying that. Miyazuki caps a motherfucker. <laughs> I'm sure if there was one episode where people were gonna get an Armenchis, I think this is probably the one. We can get into this all day. Best boy Dan, yes. <laughs> We've gone over a lot today. You might be wondering where to get started with Gundam. They pilot Max through their partner's butts.